delighted to have you in the podcast where all stories are welcome and the masks come off Hi Rahul Hi Shiva How are you Well you know it's Monday morning so just <laughs> letting the caffeine begin <laughs> All right so it's it's a pleasure to welcome to Soul Brews and uh, and uh, Coffee and Soul and really delighted to have you with me for this conversation What what I'd love to do is raise a toast to you with our coffee so I'm just going to pour myself a cup and I Hope you have yours as well. I do. I mean, right. I, you know, one has got to plough through those Monday mornings, and the funny part is, even with the lockdown, Monday feels like a Monday. <laughs> It's so true. It's so true. Cheers and welcome. Great to have you here. Mm. Delighted to be here. You know, with my coach. <laughs> so Rahul, I'm going to ask you to hold your cup of coffee, Absolutely. and if you can just keep it, and just as you sit here, snug cup of coffee, close your eyes, and what does the what what image comes to your mind? You know, finally, it's a very peaceful image. Um, just a little path, quiet, secluded, hilly, not mountainous, more hilly. Mm-hmm. It's got the the moistness of a thick forest, you know, and the smell of the, the pine tree. So you 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 you're getting the smell as well as the moistness. And talk to me a little bit about this, Rahul. What what does that mean to you? You know, I, I'm afraid I'm going to have to give honest answer. I, I, I do get up in the morning and try and put. some in sense around me because i try to create a meaning in my room so i've always got one diffuser or something firing and my default mode is to go to smells like cedar you know juniper pine lemongrass yeah. so you know where i'm coming from yeah. and i think my default also is to like you know perhaps move towards fragrances like that when i plan for myself mm-hmm. you know and, and all the errors that go with it you know right <laughs> so those smells mean something i'm not an out actually Enough. I'm not an outdoorsy person, mm. so perhaps uh, a little piece of heaven, I imagine, need not exist anywhere but within. Maybe mm. that's what so. A little piece of heaven exists within and need not exist anywhere else. What are some of the things that happened in your life that led you to this, uh, to this insight or this feeling? The little piece of heaven, I would have to say, is a shared phrase. When my father was commanding um, brigade, well, yeah. in uh, Arunachal Tenga Valley uh, we had this beautiful house and everything in Tenga Valley is super sized butterflies and also the snakes you know and, and orchids grow wild there but um, out from a window we could see to the hill across the river and in between all of the trees there was this open green patch and it was so verdant its greenery that you could literally lift the view off 20 miles away you know mm-hmm. so my mother and i would occasionally sort of sit down there when i was visiting them and she said that's a little piece of uh, heaven and i think we said it also because we knew in a way it was a place we'd never go to heaven sometimes is best imagined don't you think that's very very interesting and uh, and as it, and do you feel that it's because that it's imagined and you some place you never go to that it stays with this mystique and this charm and this aura do you th- do you imagine not reaching it is what gives it its mystique what do you think rahul yes absolutely and it's for one to keep the mystique alive in the sense that uh, now if you can see it 
and you can sort of you know smell it and imagine it and kind of just know for sure how beautiful it is you know and not disappoint yourself by ever visiting it <laughs> so that's that's not the cynics so much but i guess it's a die hard optimist who says hope eternal who says hope eternal of you know. hope eternal yes um as you start reflecting on your life and all this that you're sharing with me can you share with me some parts of your journey some of your highs some of your lows your learnings uh, you know i i think um, the big part of it all has been about um, the learnings you know there was that little and sometimes you get your wisdom on what's what world we live in but um, you know that that statement which says uh, you know everywhere i've been is where i had to go to be where i am and i'm in a nice place you know i've um, i've let go a lot of those you know books and robes that i carried uh, and and discarded them to discover a much more creative side mm. you know all those paintings you see in the back by the way are mine that's uh, lovely and i was going to ask you about that also so yeah so so i mean i want to start with and i think i'm giving the die hard optimist away in saying that uh, i have of course like everybody else been through my own roller coaster uh, somewhere even when i was getting into a darker place I saw it as an opportunity provided i did the work. and i did do the work and i think i'm also grateful that the kind of work that you and i do allows us not only information but also access to resources should we choose to use mm. so i did work on myself a lot lot Mm. and uh, i think it's best for me to summarize that um, we all sort of you know uh, embrace an identity and usually at the beginning that identity is probably crafted for us mm. and sometimes we you know and not sometimes the most of the times when we where that identity is given to us mm. it fits somebody else's size we just take it because we don't know it mm. and after a while it becomes like that security so even for this functionality that identity mm. we continue to carry it and then comes a time that you really begin to honor yourself enough to say you know i know it was given as a gift and as a gift of love uh, but this identity ain't cutting it anymore and then you let go and i think the fear that in bit casting that old identity and donning the new one perhaps the more authentic one there will be a period of naked and i think it's that fear that allows that that comes in the way of you know uh, either of us kind of like moving out from the dysfunctional identity to the one that is perhaps purer and more real so my learning has been my learning has also been that um, when you come through it's easier to see and one has to be extremely gentle with those who haven't come and if you love them also be patient and kind of spoke at a very higher level but i don't know if that makes it totally makes sense to me and particularly when you said that in between you no know, between the in the transition period you're naked and that is probably the toughest time because you're still carving you're not you haven't fully let go of something or you may have and you're transitioning to the other uh, other space where who you are you becoming who you want to be and in in betweens is where it's uh, probably the time when one is the most vulnerable have you had a lot of those faces i mean in hindsight one can actually see one's journey because you've got the vantage point and you've got the display at that point in time i like everybody else like you know not see uh, anywhere without the productive identity i was carrying myself uh, because the new identity has never been tried and so one lives with the you know they say the better to live with the familiar devil kind of thing um have i had many of those no i think those coming throughs don't think it only comes through once in a lifetime i would imagine for all the pain it brings uh, there's more than one kind of childbirth kind of but um, the one i have had um, has been the one that has brought me closer to myself in terms of being embracing my and i think it's done multiple things on an intellectual level it has allowed me to become you know more interested and more uh, familiar and perhaps even a uh, 
promoter of the idea of positive psychology. Mm. As you know, Shiva, I work with a psychometric tool called Lumina. Mm. And its thought process encouraged me in the tenet of positive psychology, embraced the part of me that was the natural, mm. creative me, the artistic me, the generous me. And uh, prior to that... Sorry, did you was, say the generous you? The generous yes, you. The, the generous, generous you. you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and prior to that, uh, I think one was like, you know, defaulting to whatever, uh, you know, when I say identity, that identity also came with its own philosophy which perhaps, you know, was, was dysfunctional for me, but I was following it in the absence of not being able to have the courage to be more uh, open. But previously, I would be more worried about not so much the creative me, but the disorganized. Mm. I would not acknowledge the generous me, but I would be focused more on the one who getting taken for a ride mm. or not getting reciprocity from the world. Um, so when my attention shifts, because positive psychology doesn't say that, you know, you're complete. It just says that, okay, focus on what your natural state, your natural style and strength, mm. likely to be happier. And a happier you might be able to conquer the gaps. Mm. I still have to pay my taxes and plan holidays and, you know, remember on a weekly basis to scold my kids. <laughs> but that amount of discipline is needed. But, uh, but I think a happier me is able to push myself towards that better. The mm. earlier identity, and now I've kind of come down a little bit level in terms of not being so esoteric, but to say that uh, the embracing of self happened a, because old me wasn't working. Circumstances forced me in a corner to look into the mirror mm. and uh, I chose to take help. So it helped me to embrace me. And, uh, you know, as you know, so embracing yourself, uh, embracing yeah. yourself sometimes takes a lot of undoing of things uh, that have kept you together. That is the nakedness piece, I think. I understand. And when you say you chose to take help, are you comfortable to talk about that? that because that might inspire many others who uh, hesitate to take help. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, like, you know, I'm not the kind of guy who will take a gym instructor when I sign up for a gym program, you know, because I tend to do those kind of things, you know, that quarterly visit to the gym to make sure everything is TikTok. <laughs> The reason for that is because I know that I tend to be ill-disciplined. You know, I tend to kind of slip and impulsive. However, I knew that over here, I do have to take that personal trainer. If I were to like, you know, clear the chasm quickly. I mean, of course, time is a good healer and instructor. And, you know, if I, 10 years through, I would come through like most people. I didn't, I thought if I accelerate the process. So when you say take help, yes. First of all, I spoke to friends and, uh, and created in spite of my own gloomy self, a safe space for them to share their story. And and I found a lot of power in their stories mm. because I got the first message that I'm not alone. Mm. And I um, reached out to my family. I felt responsible. Mm. I felt that, you know, if I'm going on to a medication of any kind, you know, like mm. emotional or real, uh, family has to be involved. So, so I... Help. I took a big gamble, but I was very, very uh, open with my team. With you? With my, my, my work team. You did. A business, I have a team. Yeah. And I opted to tell them. And a lot of people said, you might be opening a funny, you know, kind of worms. People might take advantage of your being out of, you know, mental space. So you might kind of take advantage of the access and vulnerability. But I thought I deserve, I mean, I, it's my business. I run it with the philosophies I want to live by. Sure. Sure. I have to say, in my case, at least, that paid back. You know, my team really appreciated seeing the human side of me and have stood by me more loyally. I mean, I 
I was going for nothing else. I'm not going for loyalty or fear. I was just going for authenticity with them. All of that, disclosure and openness, was the first step of taking help. You know? The second step of taking help was with working with professionals you know, who know this. I also mm. went to support groups. Mm. And uh, the big takeaway for me has been, as human beings, we don't want to come across as alone, isolated, or you know, the only broken one. The moment you find out you're not alone, I think the recovery begins. At least that's what my learning has been. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing that because I think that's a very powerful message for a number of people who might be struggling on the sidelines, you know, and to, to kind of take that step, to look at themselves in the mirror and hold themselves up and see, I need some support and help now. Uh, if I, what is your metaphor for life, Rahul? The adage you live by. There could be two, three, five, I mean, but what is the most compelling? I think uh, it's like a photo album, isn't it? You know, you just want to keep adding more pictures to it. Good old fashioned hard copy. <laughs> and um, so there was this old song, you know, sometimes be great movie, deep literature, an old 80s song, carry the amount of incredible wisdom you open. There's a song called uh, Song on the Radio. There was there's a line that kind of stays out of that for me. We go collecting the day, to build moment every day, something like that. So I think just freeze frame those beautiful moments uh, with gratitude because you know, no matter how lucky you are, you know, they're, they're few and far in between. It's the attention that one looks to them that just kind of makes them bigger. Talking about B grades and others, there was another B grade movie, I'm forgetting which one, where this couple is having a bit of a fight and, um, and she says, I'm like, you know, I'm happy. We are like, you know, not getting happiness or we are you know, not getting a rich life. And he said, look, life is primarily shit. Okay. And you get 20%. That is a huge deal. You get 20%, be happy. <laughs> and I thought, I thought, yes. 30% is a pretty good return, you know. So, so I mean, was this a Hindi good. was this a Hindi movie or a, was it clearly in... Uh, I have a feeling it was a, like there was Hugh Grant involved, but then, Hugh you know, back to me, Hugh Grant was involved even in Mahabharat somewhere. So, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell me, if you, if you were to be uh, given a chance to live over your life again, is there anything you would have done differently? And if, if yes, what would it be? It's almost like I'm allergic to the idea of regret uh, on the emotional side. And on the intellectual side, evidence has shown me that regrets don't work. <laughs> you know? so, so I don't want to sound like regretful. Uh, you know, all of those losses in some way or the other have sort of paid back beautifully. You know? And um, I do have some examples in my life. Uh, but let, let me suffice to say that if I would go back, something simpler that I would do is uh, probably do arts. When I, was in, when I was moving to grade 11, mm. uh, I had not invited support and uh, wasn't particularly organized in my choices, let's say. Mm. You know, for a guy who's always playing sport and I wasn't, you know, representing. You, you, were, you, you, were a, you used to play a lot of basketball, isn't it? Yeah, I played for Delhi, uh, the Captain uh, uh, Shalam College, you know. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. wow. Yeah. I mean, you had to kind of run through dinosaurs to get to the court. <laughs> I mean, it's been a while. <laughs> but that said, um, I, I think I would do that. I, I think it, it's a tremendous example, and which is what gives me a lot of passion to try and bring, you know, this thing that we do, the Lumina Business School program, to help people, um, well, hopefully make better choices. The truth of the matter is, 
when the young people make those choices, they're impacting a lifetime. And I would say 30, 40% of them cut it right. Mm. Well-intentioned parents try to give children guidance to move towards what will secure them. Mm. Parents forget sometimes they're looking for two things for their children, security and happiness. Mm. They get a little bit caught up in the process, you know, mm. do something that will give you a job and then after that get married. I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah. but if they, but, but, um, but well, the options were different too. I got, I just went with my friends who were doing engineering and whatever. So I just signed up and it yeah. was, that was the only thing that I'd say that um, anything else I think will start to move towards, you know, sort of flirting with regret. I would just say that, you know, creatively, I would have liked to have done that. I understand. And I, what I see is, well, it may not have been arts, but I see so many paintings and you talked about it with so much pride and joy when you said, that's my art at the back, uh, on the wall. So how has this just come up recently again for you? Have you been uh, dabbling with this for a while? And I, it's prolific. Obviously, there's a lot that you've done there uh, in painting. Um, uh, what brought that on, Rahul? Even as, as a kid, I used to play basketball, you know, your old alma mater, right? But school, I had friends there. So I used to live in Connaught Place. I'd go play basketball in modern school, my rival school. And then I would walk down to Monday House to see whatever show was going on. And I was quite the misfit, you know. There's a guy with a, a sweaty t-shirt and sneakers and looking at art. Um, and I always imagine I'll have a house full of art, right? But um, amongst the other demons that chased me, you know, the, the, the demon of uh, self-criticism, always came in the way of me expressing my art. Um, so I did, I did an easier thing. I thought that was like you know, a smart move. I married an artist, you know, uh, as you know, Manisha is a contemporary an artist. And, uh, and, uh, and together we started to build a collection. It wasn't always charity, which is what a lot of people thought it for. It was mm. a, an act of passion because at that time there was no secondary market. People wondered why we buy anything that you could resell. Mm. Uh, this was before all the auctions and all started to hit India. Mm. And uh, we built another massive, formidable collection before people even thought about art. Mm. You know, so we were the rare uh, young couple without financial pedigree, love for it. However, in all of that, the real message was that the, the, the parameters of what was seen as higher art was outside of what I liked doing. Mm. I like to do fantasy art. Mm. I like landscapes. And I, and I never used to paint. I wasn't trained. So literally, I would say when people ask me, how did you suddenly started to paint? It's all within one year, suddenly we see this, this dexterity, this imagery, composition. And then I let them on in the secret that I've been painting in my mind for 40 years now. Yeah. Now it's just pigment on paper. Mm, I think that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. For 40 years, actually, Rahul, when I look at it, for 40 years, you held it back. No? And then you allowed it to flow. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. And uh, obviously, it's, uh, it's something so true to you because for it to stay, all that painting that you've been doing for so long inside you. Yeah, I've been prolific 18 months, Shiba. And the thing is, um, Painting is merely metaphorical, self-embracing. Mm. It's not about the art at all. Mm. And, and to say, you know, okay, good enough. 
And I think that got rewarded because two of the people in the art world who I value a lot, one curator, and um, you know, uh, when she started to post my work on Facebook, um, and another gallerist who has been a tremendous guide for us to buy art because we really love her sensitivity, both separately came and told me that they're ready to do a show when I'm ready. And I said, I'm ready now. <laughs> That's fabulous. So now, so now we have another dimension and Rahul Baswani, also the artist, right? And we're go hopefully going to be see a lot, seeing a lot more of stuff coming out that we can all see and you know, watch the soul move in action through what you do in your art. I would, for one, would love to come and see that exhibition whenever that happens. Well, it's going to happen in Delhi, so, you yep. know. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Tell me, um, some of the gifts that you received that you feel shaped you, you know, adversity is also a gift, but I'm just talking about anything that, that you find. These are some of the things that shaped me as I am today. When I was four, yeah. that was the case with most kids, a lot of kids, not most kids. My parents moved me with my grandparents in a first floor house in Connaught in the middle of Connaught mm -hmm. Mm. And I perhaps met my first, you know, guide and mentor, my grandmother, mm. an extremely wise woman, you know, um, stoical, intrepid, you know, brought up her family while the husband was a prisoner of war mm. Mm. in Singapore in the Japanese camps. I come from a long line of army, left, right, top, down. Mm. So she was a woman who scraped up the coins, bought a little land, you know, put everything together. Uh, she was my friend, my grandmother, my companion, my teacher, uh, you know, so, so her company, I think, was for me now, I think, perhaps a spiritual and a learning experience. I learned a lot from her about parenting and just people. Uh, one of the greatest wisdoms that she gave me, and I risk the simplicity she gave it to me. When I was going to Australia, she said, I don't know much about other countries or other people, but I know this. People are people. If you love them, they love you back. If you're harsh to them, they will cry. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, simple language. So yeah. it also taught me that keep planting the seed when you're talking to the ones that you love, especially your children, and be detached with when the tree will grow. Because a lot of things she taught me then only made sense when the time came. Mm. Mm. You know, so the seed sprouted at the right time. Hmm? Yeah. And, and that's helped me to be patient with my kid. I mean, positive psychology, besides embracing, allowing me to embrace myself more um, authentically, has also contributed greatly to my parenting. Mm. And uh, in doing so, it's also given me a tremendous amount of patience. Mm. You know? I mean, there's, of course, the ultimate parenting coach has been Khalil Gibran, who told you, you know, mm. about all children. But uh, I now just keep planting seeds mm. with my mm. children and don't have expectation. I trust in their destiny and their wisdom or letting it sprout when the rains come, you know, and there'll be a different rain for each seed. Exactly. Right? And, and, uh, and I think there is something about uh, planting seeds too. You, know, you can begin too deep and the seed may not grow. And what I mean is, when you've got teenage boys, mm. make your message short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're speaking a lot from experience, don't you? Yeah. yeah. 
Rahul, what would be, I, I believe each, each individual here has a unique legacy to offer humankind. And I don't want to make it sound big, or, but I do believe that we have a unique lens and there's some gift that we bring to everybody, which is just unique to us. What do you think is your unique legacy? To whom? My, to yeah. my son was on the way and I would go with my wife to the uh, weekly Sunday class that she used to go that time to her old school teacher at the Ramakrishna mission. Definitely the words were powerful. So was the teacher. But it was the atmosphere, the environment of, you know, words of wisdom around you when you're introspecting that the idea of legacy started to come to me because I had a child on the way. And uh, initially I started to drown because the idea of legacy meant physical assets. <laughs> Come on, I don't feel I've done well enough to feel confident in that one area. But, uh, but I was very concerned. And then soon after that, I was in yet another class where perhaps they would, actually they were talking about Corporate value, I think. I used to work for young presidents, YPO, mm -hmm. and it was one of the big lectures with a big speaker. Mm -hmm. And the conversation moved to culture. And suddenly I realized culture does not have any physical assets, mm -hmm. but it carries all the value. Mm -hmm. And I redeemed myself on that day because mm -hmm. I realized I don't have to give bequeath a property or an estate to my children. What I have to give instead is value. So my legacy, I'd like to give to my children and you know, sort of other than my credit card debts, of course, would be the values of... You can't help that. You have to put that, don't you, Rahul? Okay, all right. But no free lunches for them. You know, <laughs> it would have to be uh, optimism and a sense of humor. Yeah. And for them to understand uh, the secret of the one universal currency. And, you know, long before me, uh, you know, being an advocate, the man who walked on water said it, it's love. Exactly. And, and so I think uh, to get that right, that should be plenty. So I think the sense of humor is definitely working. <laughs> so you would say it would be love, isn't it? Yes. Uh, you know, and, um, and I have to say that I, I understood that optimism, humor, love, you know, those are the things that would become my legacy, my children. And, uh, and well, honestly, I was also so relieved because there's no way I was going to be able to put together that financial estate. <laughs> but I also have over time learned that to those things, there's no end. Yeah, you true. know, working in YPO, I just thought, you know, there was just no end to those things. Mm -hmm. So, so, so in a way, I'm glad I learned my lessons when I did. You know, thank you so much for sharing that with me. And it's very, very powerful what you just said. Uh, and to make a statement about it, and to, to publicly proclaim that, I think that's, uh, that's uh, very courageous. In the times that we live in where words such as um, love and saying that out, sh shouting that out, actually, to say it's really, really important. Uh, more power to you, Rahul. I hope this continues and I hope it influences many others, many others to, to say the same and to bring that to be because isn't that what we all need more than anything right now. Thank so, you, Shiva. And uh, if I was to ask you, 
conversations such as these reflective conversations what value does it add to you that's the only conversation of value my insight in spite of my external you know uh, expression is that of an introvert mm. so so this is the only thing that connects me out there mm. it's also something that i think um, has allowed me to have more connectedness with my children mm. because you know they're when they come to me i try to give introspection rather than instruction great it was lovely to have this soul brew with you and i've really thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and thank you so much for making the time rahul it's been a very very powerful and a very valuable conversation and um, really appreciate the fact that you agreed to have this chat with me it's a pleasure shiba and you know i'd never say no but <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me shiba thank you so thank much you. thank you for your time and attention and for being a part of soul brews with shiba until next week keep the coffee swirling <laughs>